0: Man, oh man. It is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Now, if you don't have kids or you don't serve and go kids, um, you might not know who I am. My name is Nick, and I am one of the children's pastors here at the Crosstown Campus, and today I have the privilege and the honor of tag-teaming this message with Pastor Sean, so don't be confused when he starts walking up here, okay, because the first half will be me, the second half will be him. The first thing we want to do, we just want to give thanks to Pastor Anthony and to Pastor Rob for giving us the opportunity to do this. It shows that they believe in us, they believe in what we're doing, so thank you for that. This week is week three of our series, Kingdom Culture. And this week, we're gonna be talking about the heart of a servant. And this series is all about how can we grow from a believer to a disciple? And a lot of people think, eh, that's the same thing, right? But it's not. A disciple is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, right? And so this week, or this Today, we're gonna be looking at what does the heart of a servant look like? And I wanna start off by just telling you a little bit about myself. Um, So when I was younger, my life was all about sports. That's what my family loved, so that's what I did. I played basketball, soccer, baseball. And as I was growing up, my idols were in those sports realms, right? When it was baseball season, I wanted to be like Barry Bonds. When it was basketball season, I wanted to be like LeBron James, soccer, Messi, Ronaldo. But all those dreams, they were about me. And so I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but when I was 13 years old, a friend invited me to youth group and I found the love of Jesus. And I accepted him as my Lord and savior. And my, um, my actions changed, but my dreams through high school kind of stayed the same. They're kind of about me. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Anybody else in here that was like your dream? Yeah. Um, and I had coaches telling me in soccer, they're like, Nick, you can go to college for free doing this. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Um, but there was one day I was praying in my room, my senior year, and I felt the Lord calling me into ministry. And I was like, I don't know what that looks like. All right? And so I called my youth pastor and I said, I think, I think God wants me to go into ministry. And he said, Yeah, I agree. Like I agree with that calling. And so at that moment, I had to choose: was I going to follow my own passions and my own desires? Or was I gonna lay those down to follow the desires and the dreams that God had for me? And let me tell you something, when you lay down your desires and you follow God's dreams and desires for your life, you're not gonna regret it. You're not gonna regret it at all. Now, and I knew at that moment that if I was gonna call myself a follower of Jesus, I had to do it, right? I can't call myself a follower and a believer and then not do what God calls me to do. Now, I actually didn't have any idea that God was going to call me into full-time ministry or even children's ministry because my strengths didn't really line up. I was like, public speaking? Nah. Um, Don't really like studying, reading. They're not my strengths, and that's what pastors do, right? And so I'm like, well, but it didn't didn't matter because God was calling me to do it. And it, it, it was funny because he started to develop me, and now I can't take credit for any of it right? Because it's not me, it's God working through me. It's true. And it's true that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those he calls, right? And I believe that everyone in here, you guys have dreams, right? You have goals and ambition to chase after those, to chase after dreams is a good thing, but we need to point that ambition and that drive towards the goals and the dreams that God has for us and not those that we have for ourselves. So, Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, it says this: it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. You see, ambition is a good thing, right? All good things come from the Father. So, ambition can be a good thing, but it should never be out of your chasing your own desires. And if you look at the life of Paul, uh, Paul used to be Saul. And before Paul met Jesus, he had desires and passions, but they were aimed at the wrong direction. He, was, he wanted to imprison and kill Christians. That's what he wanted to do. He went so far to where he went to governors and he got letters saying that he could go into synagogues and capture Christians. But one day he met Jesus right? It's the, but he met Jesus and all those desires shifted. They changed. He was so against the gospel when he, before he met Jesus. And then he was so for the gospel afterwards that he was in chains and he said, Hey, hey, it's okay. Cause it's furthering the gospel. Yeah. How many of you guys know when you're in chains um, and you're about yourself, you don't care about anything else, right? You're like, get me out of these chains. But he knew that it was to further the gospel And so that shows Paul, his heart changed. He had the heart of a servant, right? And if you wanna look at other um, people in the Bible, you don't have to look any further than Jesus. Someone that had a servant heart, right? In Matthew 20, 28, it says this. It says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, the son of God, he stepped out of heaven to come down and to serve. He actually served those he created. To me, that's amazing. It's mind blowing. another beautiful part of scripture from Philippians two is verses five through nine. And this is what it says. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, I love this verse because it shows the servant heart that Jesus had, right? Right? He stepped out of heaven and he walked here on this earth. Now he could have demanded praise and uh, worship, but instead he said, no, 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 I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna serve those that are beneath me. I'm gonna serve those that I created. And then he paid the ultimate price and he took the cross for you and for me, right? So that our sins could be forgiven and that we could have a relationship with the father. And this is what Jesus said right before he was about to die in Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, he was praying to the father and he said, father, if you are willing, please take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus right there, his heart and his mindset was to be a servant. His own desire was like uh, dying on a cross, mm. but the father's desire and the father's plan for him was to do it. And his servant heart said, yes, I'm gonna do this. And in verse five, it says in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Well, what is that mindset? In verse seven, it tells us it's to be a servant and to be obedient to the father, right? So now when I first became a Christian, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if I can do that, right? That's hard. It's hard to be a servant. But then I came across first John two, six, and it says this, it says, whoever claims to live in him must live as he did. Do you guys ever come across a verse and you're like, did I read that right? <laughs> yeah, that's, and, it, and so that verse told me, hey, I can have the same servant heart that Jesus had, right? I can, I can also say, hey, not my will, Father, but yours. And then the heart of a servant, it's not just found in the New Testament, it's also actually found in the Old Testament. And one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. And I'm just gonna summarize it real quick because there's a couple points I wanna get out of it, but it's found in Genesis 37. And Joseph was the son and he was the favorite son. How many of you guys, you were the favorite child? Yeah, you guys know who you are. Um, how many of you guys, you weren't the favorite? Yeah, yep. Well, this story has to do, Joseph was the favorite, right? And there, he had a dream one day. He said, hey, I had a dream and uh, you, everyone bowed down to me. Like, why would you tell your brothers that? Especially when they're older. Uh, but Joseph, he's the favorite. So he's sitting with his father and his brothers are out working in the field. And the father says, hey, I want you to go to the field and check on your brothers, The brothers see an opportunity, so they snag him and they actually sell him to the Egyptians. And when he gets there, um, he's made a servant in the house of Potiphar. He gains honor because he's a servant in his house, right? He serves. Uh, And one day, Potiphar's wife tries to snag him to sleep with him. And Joseph runs out. But when Potiphar gets home, Potiphar's wife says, hey, Joseph tried to sleep with me. And so Potiphar throws him in prison. While he's in prison, he interprets dreams, he's serving. And then one day, Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And so they remember Joseph, he's a man of God, he can interpret dreams. And so they call him in, Joseph interprets the king's dream, and he gets pulled up to number two in command over the whole kingdom. Now, the reason I love the story of Joseph, it was just a quick summary, but you can tell he had some high moments and then he had some low moments. He had some high moments, he had some low moments, but through it all, he was a servant, right? And even whenever he was number two in command, his brothers had to come and see him, right? And he didn't like throw his brothers in jail. He didn't hold bitterness or grudge. He actually said, no, 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 I forgive you because I had to go through this. For, for God to get me here, I had to go through what I went through. That's a servant's heart. That's amazing. I love that story. And it shows that Joseph, it wasn't about him, it was about God. And some of you guys, you guys are CEOs. You're at the top of the world, right? Some of you guys, you might be unemployed or you feel like your job doesn't matter. Well, guess what? You can still serve, right? Jesus, the son of God, washed people's feet, his disciples' feet. So I'm pretty sure we can serve one another, right? Now, Dennis Rouse's book, 10 Qualities That Move You From a Believer to a Disciple, um, he talks about that there are three types of people in the church. The first one is um, visitors. We love visitors here, right? We love it when people come, they check, out our, we, they check out the worship. They're like, you do messages on a screen. How's that work? We're like, just come check it out, right? We love that you guys are here. Um, and then we have renters, and these are the people, they come to be fed. They're more like consumers, right? They, came, they come here just to be fed. And if something offends them, they might end up leaving. And then the third one is owners. And these are the people that pray for their pastors. They tithe and they're invested into the church body, right? They serve each other, they serve the church body. Um, and I just want to give some quick examples of owners real quick In um, go kids. I mean, I work over in go kids, so that's most of my examples. Right. Uh, Johanna and Jordan Walker are owners, right? Yeah. They're amazing. They serve. Yeah. They serve every single weekend in go kids in the three to five-year-olds. And that's the one room where I walk in and I'm like, wow, right but we need people like that. They're owners, they're teaching little kids about God. Another one is Elsie Reimer. She comes in every single Thursday in the middle of the week and she sets up our curriculum for us in our rooms and she serves on the weekend, it's amazing. Uh, Last one is Lorna Mitchell. She has been coming in and she has been cleaning our Go Kids rooms for a long time. And here's the thing, there's little kids uh, like Pastor Sean's daughter Blakely, she can't really um, stay on the paper. So she gets on the table, right? And she comes in and she cleans that off. That's amazing. That's ownership. She's like, I'm here to serve. I have a servant's heart, right? And here's the thing. There's so many other people in the church that we've seen. They go from believer to a disciple. And if you're a visitor, we love that you're here. If you're a renter, we love that you're here, right? But it's our desire for you guys to become an owner right, to move into owning it. Because our goal is to get everyone from a believer to a disciple. Now, as Pastor Sean, before he comes up, I just wanna ask you guys, what area are you in? If you're, are you a visitor? Awesome, love it. Are you a renter or are you an owner? And here's the thing, if you're a renter or a visitor, I believe this, I believe that God wants to use you. A lot of you guys have so many gifts. And he wants to use you. And I believe this, that once you start to use those, God's going to use you even more in an even greater way than you could ever imagine. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Pastor Nick. I think that's an incredible challenge. Um, And I need to get Lorna's number because our daughter Blakely likes to color all the walls and the carpet. And so Lorna, if you want to help me out at home, that'd be great too. But here's the reality is, and I do think this is a great challenge, and our hope and our prayer and our desire is not to lift up the name of River Valley Church. It's not, okay? I understand it's on the outside of our building, but our, na- our hope is to lift up the name of Jesus. That's why we serve. That's why we want everyone to have an ownership and a servant mentality because Jesus, um, the world needs Jesus, The world needs Jesus, and he's invited you you to be a part of this incredible journey. When he said, come and follow me, he truly meant it. Come and follow me. Now, the invitation is your hand. It's in your hand. What are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with that invitation? Are you committed to being a, a disciple, or is it enough for you to just be a believer? You know, we have a security in going to heaven by being a believer. It's easier we subscribe to Savior Jesus, but making him Lord over every area of our life, that's where it becomes difficult. It becomes difficult. And, and there's a reality that there is no promise in the Bible that being a disciple of Jesus is going to be easy. It's not. It's not going to be easy, but it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. it, is worth it. Now, we hear all the time, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I, come to, I come to church one or two times a month. I think I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. We're glad that you're doing that. There's more for you. Uh, we might hear... Oh, last year alone, you know, I gave 1.7% of my net income to the Red Cross. Let me pat myself on the back. Look, I'm glad you're giving to the Red Cross. It's a phenomenal organization, but there's more for you. Or we might hear, you know, Pastor Clinton would be proud. Of the 21 times I came to church last year, I was only late four times for worship. (laughs) Pastor Clinton, that's 81% of the time that I showed up. I was on time. Well done. Uh, Listen. Those things are great, and we're glad that you're doing that, but there's more for you. And so when we talk about being a disciple, it includes every area of our life, including serving. Well, I don't know. I don't, I'm kind of a pretty big deal. Do you understand that I'm a senior VP of interest rate risk management? <laughs> That's a big job. I don't know. Do like, you really want me to usher? Do you really want me to come scrub toilets? I don't know about that. I'm a pretty big deal. Look, I get that. For every area of our life um, that we haven't fully surrendered, sometimes, I understand sometimes that there's a, there's a lack of faith. There's a lack of trust in God, and, and, and we want to help you build your faith. But for some, for some of us, including myself, when we don't surrender to God, sometimes that's an area of pride. Sometimes that's an area of selfishness. And I think that this is a great opportunity where we can invite the Holy Spirit in, say, God, if there's any pride in me, if there's any selfishness in me, God, will you help me root this out so that I can become more like you, Jesus? And I'm I, listen, I'm up here. I'm as pride as can be, and that's why I married an awesome wife, because she humbles me all the time, and she tells it to me as straight as an arrow. Um, You know, I look for uh, different opportunities to feel good about myself. You know, sometimes I I base my own self-worth on my performance or the opinion, opinion of others, and you know what it leads to? It really just leads to nothing. It leads to an emptiness. It leads to something that never satisfies, because there's a reality that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. Now, in regard to some pride and selfishness, sometimes it's harder to identify. And so just real quick, a couple examples to identify pride in our lives. If you got mad when I suggested that you might be prideful or selfish, that might be <laughs> an area, it might be an indicator. Um, if someone gets a promotion over you, if someone gets recognized, or someone's given an opportunity, and anger or jealousy or insecurity wells up inside of you, that might be another area. If you focus on other people's weaknesses, but only your strengths, that would be an area of pride in our life. If you disregard the advice of others, if you don't like asking for help, if you're always critical, if you're unwilling to submit to spiritual authority or even authority in general, or if you justify sin instead of admitting it. Look, these are all areas, again, where we can invite the Holy Spirit to say, God, I need help in this area. I need to kill the pride, I need to kill myself, I need to submit to you and just humble myself so that I can trust fully in you. I love what the Psalm, psalmist says in Psalm 118, verse eight. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. And it's so true. We can't put our confidence in other people We have to put our confidence in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And it is so much easier. Life is so much better when we walk in humility and we walk with an understanding that it is not about me. It's not about me anymore. Because when it's about me, yes, there's high highs, but there's also low lows. When it's about Jesus, there can still be highs. But in the lows, I know that Jesus is still with me. And it's so much easier. I love what David Guzik said. David Guzik is, he's a commentator. He's written a commentary on the Bible. He's wrote some books. He's a pastor. He said this, if I consider you above me and you consider me above you, then a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to you and no one is looked down on. What an incredible thing. If we're always looking up to everyone else, no one is looked down upon. Let's look at what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. It says, above all else, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Stop right there. Where can we love others? By joining a life team. We can love others that come unto our doors. Every single person that comes in here, we love on them. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You know where we can be hospitable to one another? In the three to five-year-old room. With all the toddlers that are crabby because they didn't sleep well last night, nowhere else we can love one another in a life group, and we love every person that comes into it. If we don't know them, whether they look like this, whether they don't look like this, we love every single one of us, every single one of them. Verse ten: As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold of the grace of God. In other words, what? Paul is saying here, or sorry, what Peter is saying here is that if you're a believer, you've received the grace of God. Now, we can't just keep that to ourselves, but we have to extend that to other people. We have to extend the grace of God that he has given us to everyone else. Don't keep it for ourselves. If we keep it for ourselves, that's selfish. If we keep our belief to ourselves, that's selfish. Oh, I'm good. I'm saved. But everyone else, hey, at least I'm going to heaven. Okay. Don't extend it to everyone else. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen and amen, amen. Who is it for? It's Jesus. We do it so that Jesus can be glorified, so that Jesus can be lifted up. Again, it's not about us, it's about Jesus and him alone. So when we're hospitable, when we love others, when we extend the grace in the name of Jesus, and guess what? Jesus is glorified, and Jesus gets the win. Peter said this in 2 Peter verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Simon Peter, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there for a second. What did he he recognized himself as what first? A bondservant, a servant of Jesus Christ. In other words, He understood that before I could ever be called a disciple, before I could ever be called uh, an apostle, I must become a servant. Because if I'm not a servant, I can't be a disciple. Let's go on. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by their righteousness, to uh, to our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. His divine power, again, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen, God has given you everything that you need to serve. He has given you everything that you need to do uh, in order for you to accomplish the will that he has for you. He has called you. He, he has set you apart. Look, Listen, if you're breathing, he can use you. If you can smile, he can use you. If you have the ability to press a button, he can use you in the tech booth. Amen. Look, God can use you. If you're breathing, he can use you. I love it. Uh, Just Pastor Rob in his book, Fix It, he, he outlines kind of three different ways that we can serve. One, he said, serve in a general way. That would be serve day coming up on this Saturday. Another one would be serve in a gathered way. Again, life teams, kids, parking, ushering, whatever it may be. Uh, then he also says serve in a gifted way. Some, of, some people have a gift for marketing. They're a marketing guru. Like you could use that gift to help further the kingdom of God. Some of you, have a, you're an IT guru. You could use your gift in IT, information technology, to advance the kingdom of God and advance his church. Maybe some of you guys have a leadership gifting. Use that gift to help build the church. Because the church must be the local priority. Or the, the church is the priority. The local church is, the, is, is the, it's the vehicle that Jesus chose to build his kingdom. Matthew 16, he said this to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And guess what? His mission was very clear in Matthew 26. He says, go therefore, And make disciples, not just believers, but make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. Look, believers don't make other believers, but disciples do. And disciples make other disciples. And he's called us to do that. Is it easy? No. No. Is it challenging? Yes. Is God with us? 100%. Pastor Clint and I had the opportunity to go to uh, the airport on Tuesday. We saw off one of our incredible families uh, who are going to the mission field for the next couple of years, actually probably for the rest of their life. Many of you know them, Greg and Becky. And they have two little children, Matthew, who's four, Aaliyah, who's three. Here they have, a few years ago, they're kind of living their dream. They built a big house. and they're successful in their careers, and then they have a realization that, you know what, I think there's something more for us. What's more than having a nice house, a nice car, and a nice job with a great future ahead of you? What's more than that? It's to laying it down and to saying, it's not my will, it's yours. So they sold their house, they sold everything, they packed everything up, those two and their, their two children and four suitcases. I can't even do that on a vacation. But they, they did that. And they said, it's not my will. And can I can just be honest with you? I was, I was holding back tears because it's so inspiring to me when I see people who lay their lives down to say, it's for the sake of the gospel. There are lost people out there. And if God's calling me, I'm going to go. And I know that he's going to be with me. And I know that he's going to be for me. And there may be people in here today that, that you, you, you're kind of battling uh, maybe some of those, not battling, but maybe you're thinking about, man, are you called to go? Are you called to serve? Are you called to do this? Can I just encourage you? If God has called you, he's going to be with you. Okay? He's given you everything that you need. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I, I also see people like that um, that are going, and it, it's, it's inspiring, but sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit agitating because I've had the opportunity to go on multiple global teams. I was in China in May, 1.6 billion people who don't know the name of Jesus. There is a huge need out there. That's just one country alone. There's a huge need out there, and the pride inside of me says, well, if no one else is going to do it, I should just go do it. But there's a reality that I'm, not, I'm, I'm willing to go. My wife and I are willing to go, but we're just not called. We're called to be here. So what can we do? We can help, help you, spur you on, inspire you, walk with you, encourage you, try to equip you. And so you may, you may be called. You may not be. If you are, know that the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Maybe it's not even to be to go overseas and to be a missionary. Maybe it's just to lead a life group. Look, you can do it. You can do it. We're with you. You can do it. Don't let fear stop you. What, what talents, abilities, desires do you have? Look, God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for obedience. Just simply looking for obedience. I just want to close with this story. It's actually found in 2 Kings chapter 5, and I'm going to uh, just kind of give you a brief. Uh, overview of it. Second Kings chapter five. There's a guy named Naaman. He's the leader of the king. He's he's the he's the commander of the army of Syria. Uh, he's a great leader. He's done great incredible things in his position. But he's a leper. He's sick. He's got a skin disease and he's dying. But he hears of a guy named Elisha. He says man, if I I should go to him and see if he can pray for me and he can be healed. If you know the story, Elisha asked him to dip seven times in the Jordan River and he was healed. But there's a person in the story that often gets overlooked. It's a person that we don't know her name, but we know her situation. She was actually an Israelite girl and she was taken captive as a slave and she became a servant to Naaman's wife. So here she is, we don't know her name. She's now a, a slave, a servant girl of the Syrian army, but she's an Israelite. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, she hears of Naaman's leprosy. And this is what she says. If only my master, Naaman, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, talking about Elisha, for he would heal him of his leprosy. In other words, what she just did there is she put her own self-preservation, her own ideas out the window. And she said, you know what? I don't care that I'm a slave. I don't care that I'm a servant girl. He needs to know that my God can save and that my God can heal and that my God can set him free. So I don't care about myself. I don't care about my position. I'm gonna tell him about Jesus. I'm gonna tell him about God. his name, comes out of the water. He says this. Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except Israel. Salvation came to him. Why? Because there's someone who is in a terrible position who could have looked out for her own self-preservation, who could have been prideful and said, you know what? They took me as a slave. He doesn't deserve to know about my God. No, she threw all that aside and said, you know what? It's not about me. It's about God. So I'm going to speak truth and speak it in love. So I want to close with this last challenge is can we lay our lives down and can we set it aside And can we have the heart and the humility of Jesus? He said, God, it's not my will anymore, but it's truly about you. God, if there's anything that you want to do in my life, do it in me. Because I don't want to live for myself anymore, but I want to live for you. If it's serving, I'll serve. If it's going, I'll go. Whatever it is, I want to do it. I'm going to pray for you, and then Pastor Anthony is going to come up and close. God, we thank you so much for everything that you're doing in our lives. And God, I pray, and I ask that you would humble us. And God, as we lay our lives down and as we say, God, it's not about us anymore. It's not about our desires. It's about to lift up the name of Jesus. God, I think of the psalmist in Psalm 84. It says, for one day is better in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to be honored in a place of sin. God, it's so true. I'd rather scrub toilets in the house of God than to be famous. I'd rather change light bulbs. I'd rather change diapers in the house of God than to lift up my name. I just want to lift up your name, Jesus, because it's all about you. And I pray this all in your body awesome name. Amen, amen, amen.